Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello, and happy Thursday, everybody. And uh, in particular, I want to say, uh, I think she's listening. I want to say happy birthday to my mom. It is, I, well, you know, am I supposed to say how old your mom is? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a thing of pride now. Uh, anyway, it's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear mommy. Happy birthday to you. And I am taking the day off from work uh, and here tomorrow to take my mom to the Art Institute, one of her favorite places. I wanted to take her out of town, uh, escape a little bit, little mini trip. Uh, and one of the places that she wants to go is New York. And she said that it's just too cold this time of year and she wants to wait till it's warm. So we will put that trip off. Although I'm hearing that she wants to go to New Orleans and I've never been. So maybe I will go to New Orleans with my mom. So happy birthday to my mom. I'm so crazy uh, proud of her, of uh, the incredible life that she has lived and the uh, legacy she has uh, with me, her grandkids. Uh, her, all, She has uh, several grandkids all over the country. And um, I'm just, she came here uh, to the United States in 1968. She was a young woman who was divorced with three children in Mexico City. And uh, she got, got out of an abusive relationship and struggled to find work. And well, she got work, but she wanted better work. And when she came to the United States... She, uh, the encounter with my father, uh, notwithstanding, my mom's very first day in the country, she decided decided to catch a cab and got into my father's cab at O'Hare Airport. My dad was a cabbie. And uh, at the end of the trip, my father said, um, basically, you know, uh, it's customary in the United States to, you know, give uh, your cabbie a little something, a little tip. And, uh, and then he said, uh, but how about we go out for drinks and we'll call it even. And the rest is history. My, fa- my parents were married for the rest of my life. They were married for 29 years. And uh, my father actually passed away in her arms. And my mother, uh, when she came here, her intention was to learn English. She was going to stay here for one year and uh, learn English to uh, get a better job in Mexico City, where she was working for the federal government. She used to travel. And I'm sure I'm getting some of this wrong, Mommy. I know you're listening. And I might be getting some of this wrong, but this is the story is I am condensing it right now. Uh, she, When she came here and, and was working various jobs, she wanted to live in neighborhoods where she needed to rely on English. And uh, she worked like in, in um, you know, uh, laundry mats where you you know, had to press the clothes and like the dry cleaners and uh, and then my father uh, they reconnected because they did not stay together when they first met each other and, and went on a date that they parted ways and um, and then he uh, you know came how would you put it uh, just came to see if she was still hanging around that area where he dropped her off and they ran into each other and started dating and he helped her get a job I believe at uh, O'Hare Airport like at the ticket booth where you uh, paid for parking and. Uh, she began to see that in the United States, as a woman, she had more opportunity here, that as a divorced woman, it was not as much of a stigma as uh, it was in her community in Mexico City. And as her date of uh, departure was approaching and her green card was expiring, uh, she, you know, 
She, did, I, she basically said, uh, marry me or I'm leaving. And uh, so my parents got married and I was born. Uh, they were married on August 19th, uh, 1970. And uh, a year later, I was born. And my mother became, um, she got her degree at Northeastern Illinois University, uh, became a, uh, a claims examiner for the Railroad Retirement Board. She worked for the federal government. And while she was there, she decided that she needed to, uh, she wanted to do more, learn more. And at the age of about 50, she went back to school and got a degree in computer programming. She got a degree degree in Cobalt, which is all those zeros and ones that we were worried about during Y2K. And by the way, uh, a um, programming uh, that they said they were going to start eliminating and phasing out. And if you know, during... Um, the pandemic, there were a lot of agencies all over the country that were still using Cobalt, and they were going back and asking people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s to come out of retirement, and mom was like, no, too bad. And uh, anyway, she was a, a computer programmer, uh, and that was, and she retired, and uh, and she and she was very smart about saving money, putting money away. Um, she was very frugal, and, and still, like, it just, I, I can't, I know that mommy, I know that uh, we've, you know, I, I, I maybe don't express as often as I should how much your support, uh, your love, um, your encouragement for me to pursue uh, my career, um, to marry the man that I love, to uh, create a space for my family so that we could care for Declan and Griffin could grow up in a home that was filled with love and with wonderful stories and the most enriched environment that I could have hoped for for my children. So thank you, Mommy. Okay, I'm not going to cry. You're crying. So I just wanted to say happy birthday to my mommy, who I live with. Uh, we've been lived with my mom for uh, for 22 years. We moved into a two-flat when my father became ill in 2001. So we have been living. It's so funny because like, there was a time where I was like, oh, we've, we've got to find someplace else. But when I think of all the memories we've created and uh, the, the really warm environment that we live in, I just, um, I'm very proud of that. Uh, and all, so much of that has to do with my mom. And uh, so we are going to go. Like I said, we're going to the Art Institute tomorrow. Then we're going to go see my son Griffin perform in a sketch comedy group, Improv. I, I apologize. I called it Sketch, and he got frustrated with me. It's Improv uh, at his university. And then I'm, we're going to continue. I'm doing as much of a uh, happy birthday weekend as I can. And I was thinking today a little bit about when uh, Donald Trump won. Uh, my mother was battling breast cancer at the time. And when he won, we, we had to go. I have a picture of her that day. Um because she she was uh, getting chemo and I have a picture of her in her chair and she was just so she was devastated that Hillary Clinton was not successful because it wasn't just that my mom was voting against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, my mother was a big fan of Hillary Clinton's. Uh, it was uh, very uh, impressed with the work she had done and uh, was was excited at the prospect of having our first woman as president. And I, and I was thinking a little bit about Hillary's uh, race today as we see this report come out. Uh, regarding Joe Biden's uh, mishandling of classified documents. Um, if you've not heard, there was commentary added to the report by the uh, the attorney, uh, very much similar to the kinds of comments that were added unnecessarily, I think, to the reports made by Comey. And, and it's like, I, I, I'm just curious as to why there needs to be any commentary. You have your finding. You've decided there's not enough evidence to pursue any charges. And that's nothing else needs to be said. Uh, what you think of how someone answers questions or their age or any of those other things. I just, I, I'm curious as to what that, what relevance that has in a document. And uh, the White House has, uh, I mean, like, would that, 
would that attorney also say, so I interviewed this rapist like that. That should that should be the adjective that is in front of Donald Trump every single time you talk about it. So candidate for president rapist Donald Trump, uh, it's that, that, you know, that doesn't seem to be something that resonates with people that he has been held liable for rape, has 91 counts against him. And uh, that's it. We don't get these kinds of uh, well, we don't need anyone to describe the way Donald Trump behaves because uh, it's all he puts it all out there. Uh, we can see for ourselves what kind of a um, just bloviated jerk he is, uh, dismissive, uh, hateful and intent on riling people up. And I was listening to the Supreme Court uh, arguments this morning. Fascinated. Uh, I I do like having the rolling commentary on Twitter from other people like Ellie Mastal, because at some point you're just like, okay, what are we looking for? Liberty and uh, code 2373 and all these things. And and it's funny when you watch the uh, commentators in real time and they'll they'll explain things on Twitter or wherever they're comment commenting that uh, that basically Kavanaugh had set up a question in order to put it on the record that he was, you know, he was kind of getting one in there to make his guy have a, a solid argument, like basically feeding Donald Trump's attorneys uh, the questions that would most likely uh, paint a more favorable path to say that Donald Trump should remain on the ballot. Both in, by the way, so they they did clarify that the decision should it go for Colorado would also uh, be the same for Maine. And everyone's basically saying that even even the uh, liberal justices are most likely to not want to uh, withhold the. Um, avenue for him to be on the ballot. I do think it's interesting that someone pointed out the attorney for Donald Trump said, if we don't let him be on the ballot, if he's not permitted to be on the ballot, you are throwing out the votes of millions of people. And yet uh, that's exactly what Donald Trump tried to do on January 6th was throw out the votes of 80 million people. So just something to think about. Jim is on the phone. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? First of all, happy birthday to your mother, Patty. And you're mentioning the uh, when I saw the first release on Biden and his uh, the papers, he was perfectly clear. It was just a news release that was about four days ago. Now they came up with this jargon after releasing the report, which I agree with you it was unnecessary. Uh, as far as I know. Pence has been cleared, hasn't he? Pence, yes. the, the undertaker I believe, I believe from Indiana. Thing, yeah. I think so. He's been cleared, and and Biden's been cleared, but Trump hasn't been cleared, obviously, right? Right, right. yes. So that's still hanging in the balance. So I imagine who's ever making this report is thinking, well, uh, the frontrunner for the grand old party hasn't been cleared of this thing, but we could probably uh, mitigate uh, the grand old party's runner because we could say that he also fouled up everything he could possibly think of. I mean, it's it's playing both sides against the metal. That's all it is, Patty. Well, I, I, just, uh, I don't know why commentary you know, has to be added to any sort of uh, memo, write-up of the uh, decision by the attorneys. It's just very strange, don't you think? By special counsel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like uh, they, Comey made that announcement about uh, Clinton I was leaving for the track that afternoon. I had the TV on, and I turned it off. I had that visceral feeling like, what did this idiot say? Why did he say that? Five days before an election? He's going to... So because those are announcements that 
you know, people sitting on the fence, you know, the Russians already, they had a a four-year campaign about Hillary's emails. That was their their whole thrust of their uh, interference in our election, you know, interfering in our elections with emails. And then this nut comes out and says it five days before the election. So that could have a dramatic effect on an election. Yeah. No. Very much especially like, weeks. Yeah, very much like Comey did in the weeks ahead of the election, like you said, with Hillary Clinton. It had the same effect. We, you know, remember they, they were saying that they were reopening the investigation into a laptop that had been uh, discovered to have possibly evidence on it just weeks before the election. It was, which, which is unheard of by the FBI. That's that's no, no. Comey's never explained that. And the, the interesting thing about it was Trump turns on Comey. And blames him somehow. I mean, talk about convoluted nonsense. Comey was a, was a Republican his whole life. I don't know what spurred him to say that or do it, but that's a no-no for the FBI to get to say anything about an yeah. election in the United States. Yeah. yeah so, and then we got this. We're just going to beat this menace off. But you know, you know the problem with this. He's such a menace for, uh, to our country. That we, we're all going to be nervous wrecks until the election. But I, I, I can't see how he can win. All I can say is the economy's terrific. And I, I don't think women want to be put in prison for a, a natural thing about childbirth. That 50% of the country is going to go along with the, people being persecuted for uh, right for childbirth. I mean, that, it put people in prison, and uh, that's just insane. Anyway, Patty, thanks a million. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jim. And to... to uh, to Jim's point about uh, abortion care, I mentioned this yesterday that there are legislators in Missouri who have crafted a, a piece of a bill that would prohibit women who have ever had an abortion from receiving access to Medicaid ever. And if that doesn't have a chilling effect, and then in the same in the same week, they are introducing legislation that would prohibit exceptions in the cases of rape and incest, and the idea that they will say, well, unless the woman's life is in, in, in danger, if, uh, if her health is at risk. And that is such a load of crap because we've seen over and over again all over the country that they say, well, it, 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 they haven't proven enough. The doctors haven't said that she'll die. Other like that, That's literally you have to be in uh, in sepsis. You have to your body has to be shutting down in order for them You have to be near death in order for doctors to be able to provide health care that will save your life and give you the ability possibly to have children later. So I don't understand how that's so hard to, understand, to really comprehend for folks. Let's take a break here. First, I want to thank our sponsors. I just got a phone call from Warren at Warren Price European Collision Center. And one of our listeners, uh, one of our good friends, went over to the shop over there at 4080 North Broadway because his mechanics in his neighborhood were telling him he had to get a whole bunch of work done. And Warren was telling me that uh, no, that the that there were a couple things that were uh, in need of attention. And uh, our good friend Tim Walco saved some money going to European U.S. Collision Center. So we're excited. We're actually going to have them on the air together uh, next Tuesday. Tim Walco, comedian from my neighborhood. And uh, Warren Price, uh, the incredible, uh, our car guy, our incredible car guy from European U.S. Collision Center, a division of Technocraft. And you can go to europeanus.com to get all the information you need. And we'll also, uh, we'll be checking in with him. Tim wants to do a show called, a a game called uh, What Doesn't Tim Know About Cars? So that'll be coming up next Tuesday at 6. And I touched base 
Space with our good friend Kirk Bankshead from Monaco Brewing Company. Things are brewing in Wisconsin. And uh, he's got that tap room going in Madison. And, of course, all the great brews that you can uh, choose. You can take a look over at the website, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. Follow him on Facebook because he's always got some great stories, great posts. And he is so incredibly passionate about driving out the MAGA fascists uh, from his communities and, uh, and making sure that we establish some semblance of sanity in that part of uh, Wisconsin. So that's uh, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. And hello to our friends at Kids Above All. Uh, I'm so grateful. We have a comedy show. Mark your calendars right now. Mark your calendars right now for June 6th. We have a Stand Up For Kids comedy show coming up. and I, So you got plenty of time. You can't, tell, you can't say I didn't tell you we had a show coming up. So it's going to be Kids Above All. I'll get you more details as we get closer. So go to kidsaboveall.org and support their mission to help children live happy, healthy, safe lives. Every child deserves that. Go to kidsaboveall.org. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. We're driving it home with me, Patty Vasquez. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technocraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. The phone lines are open, so when you call, you'll hear Alejandro on the other end of the line. Uh, we checked in with Lady B yesterday. She said she is recovering well, get feeling better every single day in case you missed our update yesterday. And she's looking forward to being back, but she it'll be a bit still. So Alejandro is in the producer's booth and taking calls. The phone lines are open, 7737. Oh. No one's there. Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight, and we have uh, Dave in Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, Patty. I was listening earlier today where they were talking about uh, that Trump never took the oath. What? His, yeah, his lawyers are trying to say something that he, seeing that he never had been a congressman or in a in the military before as a. That he had never taken an oath. And well, it was the, it's the right. They were trying to argue whether or not the president is an uh, office holder, right? That was part. Is that what, right. what you're referencing? Yeah, that, yeah uh, that's what they were tying on, and they're trying to, you know, squeak him out somehow that way that he's not liable when that because of the way that that's written up about office, like you say, office holder. Right, appointed. Not a po- he was an appointed. He was a, that elected. I think they were, there was a back and forth about whether or not electeds are office holders. That was part of what I heard as well. Yeah. Well, what is that uh, funny ceremony he did? Supposedly putting his hand on the Bible, talking to the Supreme Court. You know, head Supreme Court justice. Right. <laughs> you know, isn't that the old? Right. So, so part of so I'm just reading as part of that argument, Trump's lawyers have argued that Trump has never taken an oath. A, a oath he has an oath. <laughs> He's never taken an oath as an office yeah. of the officer of the United States. Sotomayor pointed out that he's the only president this applies to because all other past presidents either took that oath as lawmakers or as military officers. Huh. That's weird. Okay. So then all the stuff he did before with him on lawful orders then. <laughs> right. But uh, the. Um, yeah, the like I think I heard someone mention that earlier too. That um, I think it was on Hartman show. 
that then why do they salute them? Yeah, you know, Tony, I didn't even know this this, this this argument has been going on for a while, because in November of last year, there's an article about how one of his talking points is that he did not, uh, he did not, uh, he never swore to support the Constitution. So it's so it's okay if he if he led an insurrection, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But, you know, cause thinking about the salute part, you recall when um, President Obama yeah. was in there and they made such a big thing about the latte salute? Yeah, the coffee, he like waved his finger. It was it was more of a wave than a salute. And then the tan yeah. salute or whatever, and anything to, to be smirched. But uh, yeah. anyway, that... That was yep. just a thought, you know, that uh, how could he not be an officer? They, they call him commander-in-chief and all of this stuff. You know, it's like, it's, you know, I don't know. And the thing that scares me, okay, if they do get him, finally get land him in the court, I, I still swear by that there'll be either one or two they'll have on the panel, the jury, that say, oh, no, I don't think he's guilty. And there'll be a hung jury or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's my fear. Yeah. You know, I know. Okay. I, I agree with you. Hey, what do you think about the fact that uh, people are, are upset that, that President Biden or think that, that President Biden should do the interview, the, the interview during the Super Bowl this Sunday? Have you heard anything about this, uh, um, this argument? I vaguely heard it. I don't, I don't plan to watch Super Bowl myself. <laughs> but, uh, do you know when the, yeah. the, 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 I guess, the alleged tradition of a president being interviewed by the Super Bowl started? <laughs> Which president started? No, Who, no. Do you want to guess? Just guess one. Uh... God, I don't know. I'd say uh, Obama. Yeah, it's Obama. That's how old that tradition is. <laughs> it's just Obama. Okay. Oh, was it yeah. the Super Bowl or where was that one that when the righties thought it was so cute to call him Brandon? That was a NASCAR event or like a race car, a racing, oh, a car racing event. I should have figured it. Yeah. I should have figured it much. <laughs> right. anyway, listen, let me uh, clear yeah. off and, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah. like uh, Jim said to your mother, uh, happy birthday and many more. Thank you so much. Mother. Appreciate it, Dave. Have a good evening. All right, have a good weekend. Be well. You as well. Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, the their folks are saying that the, the President Biden should speak, uh, should do the interview during the Super Bowl. And I, you know, neither here nor there. I, I. Do think uh, if they are, it, it, I wonder if they're trying to limit the amount of exposure he has. Although he said he's a little busy, and that's why he's not doing the interview. And and it's not just a fifteen minute interview. You have a lot of setup and getting ready for that. And, and again, um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how I necessarily know how I feel about that. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind him uh, now saying, you know what? After that letter came out, I'm ready to do the interview for the Super Bowl. But sometimes it is the people around uh, a candidate and an elected official. Uh, the president of the United States uh, most certainly has a lot of people around him. Uh, some things you delegate for decision making, and perhaps that was uh, decided by somebody. They just didn't want to. They didn't want to get in the middle of it and let uh, you know let Taylor Swift <laughs> shine in the uh, spotlight for Super. Even though, of course, it's uh, for the, the, some other game going on. I, I, I'm planning on making a big pot of. Uh, Ch- pulled chicken chili and having some cornbread, maybe visiting with some friends and uh, enjoying the game at home. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to check in with our friend, Sean Childs, uh, our good friend who we've uh, talked to before about House of Hope Foundation. Uh, we, he's been talking about gun violence and how to save our kids. Uh, there, There is a, a look. There is violence going on all over the country. Uh, I know that when it's consolidated in cities like Chicago, New York, that we can point to all of the spot, sh- the shot spotters and the cameras that are showing crimes uh, being committed. And it is 
there is more gun violence per capita in so many other places than Chicago. It doesn't mean that we should uh, want to live this way. And, and I think that I think that we do need our mayor to step forward. And again, I, I love what Richard Chu said a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, as as people who support him, who support our mayor, and I would think that everyone everyone should want him to do well. I saw a post today in regards to a woman who was uh, attacked and robbed. Uh, there's video of it. And one person posted on social media. I want to know how she voted before I feel bad for her. And that's where we are. And I, I know other people do revel in the schadenfreude of, of people suffering if they voted one way or the other. I, I don't I don't feel that way. I don't think that uh, wishing ill on, on people is, uh, is it's not where I come from. Um, that good, she deserved it, I guess. If she voted for Brandon Johnson, that's what she gets. Uh, that's, that's not helpful. It's not impactful. So let's see what we can do. So to, back to what Richard Chu had said a few weeks ago, uh, that, you know, this is a little nudging, a little friendly nudging to a mayor that we wish the very best to and would like to see uh, certain things. This is, it, this is, this is the, the nature of the beast right here. Let's take a break here. Come back. We'll talk to Sean Childs from House of Hope Foundation. After this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Heart Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing heart seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. My friend Marty, he wants to split the party. He wants blue folks and red states to vote green. I can see his point, though I really gotta say, no, we can't have another 2016. It seems nothing beats orange, nothing even freaking rhymes with it. What's a battered nation supposed to do? His Royal Orange Highness, he does love to divide us. We've got to stick together and vote blue. When I recycle, I'm green, green as green can be. I do my level best, yes, it's true. But when I'm voting in November, I promise to remember it's us against him. Gotta vote blue. That's a little, uh, that's a little Steve Don't think Goody with Vote Blue. Now. You can go to stevegoody.com. That's G-O-O-D-I-E. I know earlier Joan was talking about the uh, Senate bill that would uh, advance uh, aid for Ukraine and Israel. They uh, have peeled out the border aspect of that bill. And a couple hours ago, they were still uh, working on uh, those negotiations. They uh, were working on a procedural motion. And uh, it's, a, it's a step in a direction of providing the support that we must in Ukraine. And I know that there's a lot of uh, concern over the uh, loss of life in Gaza. Uh, we are, that includes humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza and for Taiwan. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date if anything uh, happens with those, uh, with that, those negotiations. Uh, I believe they probably adjourned for the day. That's how they do things. Sometimes you never know. I, I don't, that's one thing I've never quite understood is the calendar of legislators. Like when I was in Springfield, there were days where, you know, there were weeks where on the calendar it would say, you know, that the president of the Senate or the the 
the Speaker of the House. Uh, here's the dates they want that they project you're going to be in. And then you'll have a calendar. It's like Monday through Friday. Some weeks it's just Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, you know, the General Assembly of Illinois convenes from uh, from January through the end of May. And then they have a veto session in the fall. And uh, But sometimes they'll on Wednesday they'll, they'll decide there's not going to be much more uh, to do, uh, that they're waiting on different things. And then at the end of the session, you know, they'll like they'll, you know, bang the gavel at like 430 or sometimes it's earlier, sometimes a little bit later and they go to committees and they're working on whether or not something's actually going to a bill is going to be read on the floor and considered and debated. Uh, And then at the end of session, all bets are off. You could be up until five in the morning watching debates on bills, uh, which I did uh, several times. Uh, The last time I stayed up all night, they were working on the Safety Act, which is, of course, something that people uh, are uh, debating to this day, the implementation of the no cash bails and other aspects of that. But um, so I never know what <laughs> I never know when it's going to be something. I, I need some sort. I, there must be a, an alert somewhere to let me know when this is going to be one of those marathons. You guys, I love watching C-SPAN, especially when there's real business being done. There are moments where in the legislature, and it's, this happens a lot in Springfield, and I was telling uh, Senator Laura Murphy not too long ago how crazy it made me when people would get up and give these speeches. And you will you can see this on C-SPAN at the federal level where they want to recognize somebody in their community and they give this very nice speech. The, the one that really drove me crazy was the retirement of a legislator in Springfield. Uh, it was Senator Sullivan and beloved, just a beloved legislator. And uh, it was uh, no joke. It had to be three hours. I remember texting some of the legislators going, hey, why don't you rent out a bowling alley, buy this guy some flowers and get off my dime? And the legislators would always tell me, you know, well, you know, that's not really how it works down here. We have other, there's not really much going on. And this was when we did not have a budget under Governor Rauner. It just it made me crazy. So uh, anyway, I don't always know uh, when I, I need like a I need to talk to I need to find a an insider in D.C. who can call me like the day that Hunter Biden showed up in chambers during that hearing. I just accidentally tripped on that. That was like Christmas for me. I've never been so excited. And anytime I can see Jasmine Crockett on fire, just taking those Republicans a task. And I know that uh, uh, Garcia, uh, Congressman Garcia from California was going after Marjorie Trailer. Someone someone just called her Marjorie Trailer Grown. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyway, he was uh, he was going after. And it was what was funny about that moment. And the fact that I just mentioned the Hunter Biden uh, appearance was that as Garcia was tearing into her, uh, she got up and left. And if you recall, when Hunter Biden got up and left when she started speaking, because she showed penis pics in chambers on national television, he got up and left. And she was like, he can't take it. He doesn't want to hear a strong woman talk. Uh, so I guess strong women walk is her point. I don't know. But anyway, that's what she uh that was her response to being taken to task by uh, Congressman Garcia. So it's been uh, <laughs> I, just got, I just got a text that says uh, Trump sucks. <laughs> uh, oh, the uh, oh, someone's asking about the yesterday's show. Uh, I don't know. Let me I'll, I'll look into it and see if have you checked on Sound, SoundCloud. All of our previous shows are available on SoundCloud. I can text that to you right now. Check out SoundCloud and look for our shows. All of our shows live there. Uh, check out SoundCloud. Well, they're listening, presumably. And I feel like this is John. Is this 
I feel like I, this is a texture that I used to hear from uh, from my other station, SoundCloud. There we go. Is that John texting us? Because the text looks familiar. There comes a, a point where you start to recognize certain texts, like, and we have a new uh, text system. So sometimes I'll uh, I'll see uh, a texture, and I can kind of get the gist of what they're going to say, even though we don't necessarily have names associated with all those. Um, I do know that. Uh, there's uh, just a lot of activity in uh, D.C. I, I want to come back to this moment where uh, Speaker Johnson, in reflecting on the chaos of two days ago when they were trying to impeach Secretary Mallorca from uh, Homeland Security, and he was out having a press conference and he said, well, people showed up that we didn't think we were going to show up. But he was he was talking about specifically was Congressman Al Green, who, you know, Christ always says, uh, make sure if you're going to do something and you don't want certain people around do it while you think they're in surgery that's that's how christian mike johnson is and i'm saying that because mike johnson said if you want to know what my worldview is to read the bible so you don't eat shellfish or pork just just thing just curious amongst other things uh mostly uh, so you do welcome people uh into your into your into your community uh do you feed the poor? Do you? Uh, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Help the sick, right? Those, are those are the Christian values you're talking about. So I, I really, uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of research uh, during my day job. I'm working on uh, a, a couple of things right now that I'm focusing on. Of course, the uh, asylum seeker and migrant issue is top of mind for a lot of folks as we try to figure out the budgeting for that. I was looking at New York. Um, Two point. The governor of New York has promised uh, 2.4 billion dollars to cover the costs uh, over the next year um, for asylum seekers and migrants. And uh, if you're watching the news at all, uh, you'll see that there there's a lot of talk about this. And of course, conservative news outlets are showing. And, and look, the attack on the police officers is awful and horrible. And, they, and there are seven there are seven people who have already been uh, have been arrested and have been charged. And then on the flip side of that is also if you have seen this clip, Sean Hannity, because and I and I assume that the energy, the uh, wanting to retaliate was fueled by the video of the police officers being beaten. And there's that idea of like, well, now we got to go get them too. And the guardian angels were out and they were being, one of them was being interviewed on Sean Hannity. And he was like, the migrants are taking over the city. And he, and then as they were, as they were talking to Sean Hannity, this group of guardian angels surrounded a Latino and started harassing him. You see them kind of going back and forth. He Then he's on the ground and they're beating him up. And Sean Hannity says, turn the camera around. We want to watch that. And he, it doesn't matter who he was. He was by himself. You don't see him pushing back or trying to fight them at all. That's... I would think that people who want to protect others mean everybody, not just seeking people out to beat up on the street on national television. Oh, I do want to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, there are folks that are very excited to see uh, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson uh, was saying that he was he was he was bragging that he's the only uh, broadcaster who has requested to meet with a Putin and you guys, the number of news outlets and anchors and reporters and journalists that came out and they were like, no, <laughs> we've been asking. If, if he said, I'm the only one that Putin has agreed to meet with, we would all go, well, yeah, that makes sense. But that's not what he said. He said he's the only one who has requested an interview with Putin. Okay. 
And and look, I, I, it, of course he should. If, if he gets the the opportunity, uh, let's see it. I, I have no problem with him doing it. I also have no problem making fun of him and pointing to the fact that he has his nose way up Putin's butt. Was it? Is that free speech too? <laughs> I think so. But uh, having interviewed somebody who was not very well liked, uh, and I was the only one who interviewed him in the uh, four years at Governor Rauner's office, I actually interviewed Michael Madigan. And I didn't go there with, uh, I certainly didn't go there all glossy eyed. And you know, I want everyone to, I want to give everyone my point of view. I asked him just very, very general, not hard questions. The only time I pushed back uh, was I asked him what he thought his legacy would be of uh, his long term, the longest serving speaker of the house in the history of the United States and he gave me an answer about his kids and I appreciate that but I said no 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 I mean for the people of the state of Illinois I, I you know I'm glad that you feel that you've done a good job as a, as a father and you can add that in but you're not our dad and I want to know what you think you have accomplished for the people of Illinois. And there's a lot that was wrong. We know that uh, the system that he had in place was uh, was not conducive to the most democratic process in our capital. I, I also know that there were things that, that Michael Madigan did that reinforced our stability in the state of Illinois as a blue state, I would hope that someone else would have been able to do it. But we were we are a blue state in a sea of red. Uh, we have some of the strongest protections for women's access to abortion and autonomy. And uh, and I'm proud of that. And uh, he, he was part of that that entire process. Um, but I also think that it was it was time for him to go. And, and if he has broken the law and it's and it's provable, then uh it, let the uh, justicism play out. Let's take a break here. We'll come back in just a moment on, on WCPT 773-763-9278. That's a number two call or text. Oh, before I go to the break, let me read a text. Um, hey, Patty, am I the only one that thinks a candidate for president calling senators and Congress people telling them what to vote for and how to vote on anything is just wrong? When did this become anything? The Republicans are terrorists. And and this is this is something that, that Trump takes credit for, for calling the senators and the Congress people and telling them, do, don't do anything that might improve the situation at the border. And somebody called yesterday trying to be uh, sarcastic about the border, that we don't have a crisis down there. Well, that's what the Republicans seem to think, because they are not providing the support and the funding and the policies that the people that the Border Patrol are asking for. The Border Patrol Union said, we want this deal. This looks good to us. This is a step in the right direction. So if there is a crisis, Republicans apparently want to do nothing to help law enforcement or human beings who are trying to find a better life and just turning to safety. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Buy yours at Beer on Central in Evanston, D&D Finer Foods in Evanston, Rogers Park Provisions, Provisions Uptown, and Beer Shop Oak part must be 21 please drink responsibly patty vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278 driving it home with patty vasquez now on wcpt 820 
Thank you for joining us. And the phone lines are open, 773-763-9278. And I'm excited to uh, connect with one of our listeners who is looking for our shows that are podcasts. After we finish up here, our producers like Alejandro and Paul, Andy and Lady B, they make sure that that lives on SoundCloud so you can access those shows at any time. If you want to, hey, if you if you like a show and you know one of your friends maybe aren't onto the show yet, send them a link to a show that you enjoy. And this is this is one of those things. We got a grassroots WCPT folks. We are uh, we're proud to be here. We appreciate your support. And we the one thing I ask of you is to tell your friends to okay two things I ask of you tell your friends and family about this show or you know hey you know maybe check out uh, WCPT tell them to check out uh, Richard Chews and Stephanie Miller Tom Hartman Joan Esposito me Matt uh, Matt McNeil and uh, Mike Crute with the Devil's Advocates and all of our great weekend shows like Apolitini Edwin Eisendrath we've got uh, oh my God out Chicago with Ellen and and our good friend Scott uh, both of them good friends uh, so yeah so check out our entire schedule I know I'm missing somebody there's so many great shows here uh, so you have uh, plenty to, to choose from and all of our uh, shows do live uh, on SoundCloud so you can check that out and I let's see looks like Curtis Skies and his guardian angels screwed up so are they I wonder if they're being prosecuted so we were talking before the break about uh, some guardian angels that were uh, being interviewed one guardian angel who was being interviewed on Sean Hannity's show and uh, as he was talking to him about how migrants are taking over the city that uh, they uh, several guardian angels surrounded a Latino and he uh, they started beating up on him it was crazy and it was on television and then Sean Hannity was egging them on like ooh 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 turn the camera I want to see I want to see some blood basically was what he was saying uh, Dan from Apolitan I just were your ears ringing hi how's it going it was. It was. They, to- they totally were. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what was bringing? No, I'm, yes. I'm sitting in traffic right now on 90. So I, I don't know if uh, I know that you were talking about how Trump was is trying to uh, kind of it, it, uh, direct uh, Congress folks on how to vote. I just want to remind individuals that, like uh, during Reagan's campaign, uh, Iran Contra, Iran Contra, that was a thing, and that cost Carter the election. And yeah. a, a private citizen. Um, getting his fingers into federal federal things like that's not an okay thing, but that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's and yeah, and everybody are, the Republicans are like, oh, the border issue, the border issue. Oh wait, we have a bill. Oh no, we're not going to vote on that. No, okay, all right, what? Right. Yeah, isn't that crazy that they were able to? Because if if anything gets better, and and here's the thing. Trump is right to be afraid that Biden and the Democrats can make some inroads in negotiating with the Republicans at the border because so many of his policies are helping people. Did you see how much money the IRS expects to be able to reclaim from billionaire, the billionaires? I think it's like over five. It's like, it's like half a trillion dollars because they have enough staffing to go after unpaid tax bills. Remember all those videos and, oh, they're going to send armed IRS agents to your house. No, they're going to go after the tax cheats. You jerks why they, why? Were, they were trying to be like uh, they're they're hiring you know thousands of individuals to come after you yes. you know you make forty five thousand dollars a year and so you know actually we're gonna go just above you and get those billionaires to be like you haven't paid taxes in like six years what are you doing yep 561 billion dollars they they hope they expect to be able That's to amazing. isn't that crazy and i do want to like I want to remind people that, like, I don't know, Joe Biden and his administration uh, were able to uh, forgive or wipe away one point. I think it was one point one billion dollars in student loan debt, too. Like that. 
That's another thing that's happening. And then also, oh, I don't know, uh, child now, now, like child tax credits, they wanted to make those child tax payments, but the Republicans didn't allow that to right. uh, like to continue. Um, so no, I, you can run down the list of all the things that Joe Biden has done, and he's he's doing it. And he's a legislator. He's been in the Senate. He's been in the, you know, he knows how to work through the system. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah. It's, it's, and he's, yeah, right. Yeah. The, Sorry, well, the, the funding for the IRS in order to be able to have more agents and do the due diligence of, of tracking down money that hasn't been turned over. Uh, $80 billion mm-hmm. was spent in the, in the Inflation Reduction Act. To, and so when people ask, well, how are we going to pay for that? Tax the rich and collect what they owe. That's it. That's yeah. uh, apparently yeah. that'll, that'll get and, you half a trillion dollars, folks. And, and the bills that 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 he got passed, th- those were budget neutral. So it actually wasn't right. costing us any money. I know. I know. <laughs> Unlike the two trillion dollar Trump tax cut that cost us two trillion dollars. Um, no, he knows how to do it. And, and he had Nancy Pelosi, uh, thankfully, there. Now he's now we've got this other, you know, you know what, uh, in, as a speaker. Um but I don't. I mean, when Mitch McConnell is saying that the the border bill, when the the, the president of the the Border Patrol Union is saying this is a good bill, maybe it's a good bill. Maybe we should vote vote on that. Mm. But they're not going to. No. No. And yeah. When Mitch McConnell said, "When I agree with Mitch McConnell, then that you know that you know things have gone off the deep end." But he said it's a good bill. Right. So. Yeah. I know. Yeah. How crazy is that? Gonna, which means they're going to get rid of him. Right. <laughs> I know. I have no but problem I just wanted with to that. call and yeah. chat with you. Thank you, Dan. So, uh, I Dan, love you very much, Patty. And, uh, and Dan, I, I'll be on tomorrow. Yes. For, Dan and Megan yeah. Kelly will be filling in for me tomorrow. Palatini sits in these yeah. seats tomorrow uh, from 5 to 7. What do you got coming up on the show tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow we've got um, uh, Graciela Guzman, who is uh, running for uh, Illinois State Senate of the 20th District. I had breakfast with her yesterday. And uh, she seems really cool and super excited to try to uh, win her seat. And um, we're just going to chat about all the other things that are happening in the country. So it'll be a fun time. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Another great show here on WCPT. Uh, He'll be filling in with Megan tomorrow from 5 to 7 and catch their show on Sunday at 8 a.m. And there's a drag show on February 18th at Gracie O'Malley's. It'll be uh, Dan's uh, birthday weekend. So there you go. All the the news you I'm just saying. Thank you, Dan. Uh, All right. Love you, Patty. I'll talk to you later. Love you, too. Talk to you later. And let's another great show. I'm sorry. I didn't put it in the rotation of the, all the, the shows I was listing off of the progressive kitchen table progressives hosted by Paul in Seattle. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? <laughs> That's what I called up. To get, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> hey, I know the feeling. The, I heard Richard Chuchu yeah. signing off the other day and he was like, he listed all the shows up to Joan. And I was like, oh, the schedule ends at five. So I know how you feel. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you know, Supreme Court justices, whenever I hear them talk, I just feel annoyed. I, I just don't even matter who they are, but. The questions I heard today, and I think it was John Roberts who said, well, can we really have one state determining the outcome of an election? And I thought, first, that is ridiculous. I I can't believe that somebody who's supposed to be this brilliant to be a Supreme Court justice doesn't realize that uh, just because he's not on the ballot doesn't mean that any candidate would lose the election. He might lose Colorado anyway, right? Right. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I guarantee it. 
if he got tossed off the ballot in Washington State, it wouldn't make a hooded difference because he ain't coming anywhere close to Washington to winning Washington State. So to say that, number one, and secondly, um, this is a this case in Colorado was raised by citizens. If they don't have standing to say no, this is who we don't think should be, and we and we brought a case and we won. We brought the evidence and said, yeah, he likely participated in an insurrection. Uh, you know, no, there, there's. By the way, if, you, if, Donald, if Donald Trump were convicted by, say, Jack Smith, that doesn't mean the states have to take him off. So if that's the case, they don't have to say he's go. Oh, well, just just because it's not transferable, a guilty verdict in one district in one jurisdiction is not necessarily transferable. Certainly not in a political sense. Colorado wouldn't have to take him off, or any state doesn't have to take him off the ballot right. simply because he was convicted. So that's crap. And then the other thing is. They didn't feel this way about one state being the, you know, the uh, determining the outcome of election in 2000 when they decided that Florida was going to be the determine the outcome, and the and the Supreme Court said we must make Florida stop counting the votes or George W. Bush could could suffer irreparable harm. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. What about what about Al Gore suffering irreparable harm, and why does George W. Bush have is he entitled to win the state? And that was it. It, if, if Florida couldn't have gotten their act together by the 17th of December, that's what the court said. We got to get this together. We got to make this decision so they can certify some of the electors votes when the electors vote on the 18th. Well, if they can't if they can't get their act together in time, that means well, 29 electoral votes not counted, and Gore wins 267 yep. to Bush's 242. I know, it's but they had to get involved and say, oh, we uh, wait. One state has to tip the balance here, and it has to. And by the way, it's always a controversy over a Republican candidate, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Thank you, really Paul. Is. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Sunday Have night, 6 o'clock, Paul from Seattle, Kitchen Table Progressives. Brian, I'm going to round up the hour with you. What's on your mind, Brian, in Naperville? Hey, Betty. How you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thank you for calling. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to uh, make a quick comment on the uh, um, border bill that you guys were talking about. Um I know that for some people it looks great when we can say, oh, see, we, uh, you know, we we gave them everything they wanted and they still shot it down because they don't want to work with us. The only issue is, and I have a real problem with, with honestly, most of the party right now, they ceded all of the discussion on what's going on at the border to the Republicans, to the right. And so now... You know, people are are saying this is a reasonable bill. They were going to give ICE an increase in the in their funding that was more than their annual budget. Uh, and with this bill. and, and there mean, was no and, and there was no provisions for DACA for Dreamers either. There was a, there were a lot of people who were nope. angry about that as well. I appreciate that. Nope, they hung them out to dry, and it's just yeah. Now this is kind of where we're arguing from, and it's it's a horrible thing. I mean, you got a good Biden point. Continued a lot of the Trump uh, Trump policies at the border with Title Forty Two and everything. Yeah, I, I just think they're they're making a big mistake on that. Well, apparently it's not going to matter because they're not going to budge on it anyway, and, and just let everything sort of fester some more and get worse. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was a step in the right direction. And now it just turns out it's something we can go, well, you didn't want it, so here we are. So thank you so much, Brian. That's a good point. Yep. 
Appreciate Thank it. Have you. a good Have night. Good night. Thank you. You too. Let's take a break here. When we come back, I'm so excited. We're going to meet Nate Nate Kipn- Kipnis of Kipnis Architecture and Planning. We're going to talk about passive house, green design, uh, what you need to know. I'm excited. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Driving it home <laughs> with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks, says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses, says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. It's such a great song, we had to play it, t- we had to play it twice. That's nice. Steve Goody, uh, in studio we have with us, Nate Kipnis, am I saying your name correctly? Yes. Uh, Nate Kipnis from, from Kipnis Architecture and Planning, and thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, my pleasure, thanks for having me. I'm excited, my my uh, uh, my, uh, my insight into architecture is very limited. I went to Lane Tech where I had to do uh, a drafting for yeah, two years. Lane Tech's a good one. It is a good one, they don't do, they do uh, CAD now, I think, computer-aided drafting oh, yeah. most likely. Uh, so welcome to WCPT. I know that you are you out of Evanston. We I live in Evanston, you based do. there. And yep. uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Highland Park. Okay, yep. so you went to Highland Park High School, HPHS. Yep. We I know a lot of people that went to Highland Park. They have that great uh, like theater program every year that they celebrate the arts at Focus HPHS. Focus on the arts. I've Focus on the arts. Spoken there three times in a row now. I believe it. Yeah. So when did you? Uh, what, what did you think you were going to do? What did you plan on doing when you were at HPHS in class, in gym class, or yeah. in history class? You're like this isn't what I want to do. You mean like life thing? Yeah. Well, actually, I wanted to be an architect when I was six, and my get wife keeps telling me when when our kids were trying to get to figure out what they were doing, don't tell them. You're freaking them out. Right. But that was, you know, Lincoln Logs and Legos and all that fun stuff. And then when the 73 oil embargo happened, I started to see these magazines with solar panels on solar homes, and I'm like, I don't know how, but I want to do that. Come on. When I was 12, yeah. That's amazing. And, of course, President Carter put solar panels on the White House. Which Reagan immediately took off. Yes. Yes. Because that's why why advance any sort of uh, forward thinking. Sure. So you see solar panels during the oil crisis in the 70s, and you want to get involved in solar panels. And here we are. are, We've made a lot of of progress, and it's been hiccups because, in part, of the resistance in some arenas. Uh, So where did you go to school to study architecture? So I went to University of Colorado at Boulder. Really? And I I believe my family had never been west of Aurora, Illinois before that. (laughs) We went out there, and that blew Blew my mind, but mm-hmm. learned all about solar architecture there. And then I went to Arizona State for grad school and how, then came back. How far along in comparison to where you are now with the technology for solar architecture? You know, what would, you know, how far along were they when you were in college? You know, actually, it was pretty amazing. There were people that, um, because of World War II, they had, there was a lot of research and science, and that was actually centered right here in Chicago. Keck and Keck were some architects that did the first solar home. It was the first time they used that term in Glen, Glenview, Illinois, the first solar home, at least with that name. Now, sure. if you go back to like New Mexico mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago, they were figuring out passive solar. But, you know, there was definitely a thing here. There was stuff in the out west. Um, and there were a lot of pioneers. Some of my professors were, like, amazing, you know, just incredible. And you wouldn't really think that. And there weren't that many of us back then taking the classes, but, 
It and was great. Were you thinking though that like you were you eager to like make sh- get this out there, expand the access to solar architecture? Oh, I was so fired up, and then I got out of school and I went to you know conquer the world, sure. and I didn't need the invisibility cloak from Hogwarts. I was I would talk to people, they would not understand what I was talking about. <laughs> it took a long time to get that back, um, but yeah. I I knew it back then. But uh, now we're now we're really doing it and well, doing it. Well, and wouldn't it have made a difference to have a leader of the country if we had maintained? I mean, just even just for the appearance of investing in solar technology. There is no question that the longer we keep waiting, the harder this is to correct. Right. And if we had done it, you know, 30 years earlier, this would be a no brainer. But people seem to only act when, you know, their feet are on fire. Sure. Literally. Yeah, no, no kidding. Again, we talked about 60 degrees. 60 degrees in February. This is nuts. It really is. So, solar architecture, because we think of the big solar panels on, on the top of the house. So, architecture makes me think that this is a different from the ground, from the, the foundation up, incorporates solar technology, right? From starting from scratch kind of a thing. So, yeah, I mean, this. The smart thing to do is you design with that in mind from the beginning. And we've done plenty of houses where we've done some really neat things. And they go, how did you make that happen? I go, because that was the first thing we thought about. We're doing a house right now. We have an office also in Boulder, Colorado. And we're doing a a house there for this guy. And every angle of the house is based on the equinoxes, the sunrise, sunset, noon sun. And, you know, and people are like, how did you do that? I go, because that's how we start the design, at least in that particular house. And that just almost makes it sound elegant. Well, it's... Because it's it's also practical. It's not just the technology. I mean, if you look at the word architecture, it's art and technology. So there's the technology part and there's the art. And and blending that is really the fun part of it. When you... uh, I'm guessing your entire life has been like this, especially since you knew at six years old what you wanted to do. (laughs) I mean, you look at every building. I mean, are you ever able to shut it off with like how you would have done that? Wow, that's amazing. I mean, what, what surprises you when you look at a building? Can you think of something that you've maybe traveled and been like, well, that's impressive? Well, I, every time I travel, I, I learn a lot. I mean, sure. traveling is a key thing. If you're an architect and you don't travel, that's bad news. Sure. So I'm trying to think if there's any particular one. Because to your point, it's the same as being an artist. I mean, you have to even just to get out of your comfort zone to see how. Well, you have to think different. Right. You have to think of things a little differently. And, you know, if I get bored you you really just have to take a deep breath and kind of uh, look at it a different way. Yeah. And even like having the ability to hear people speak differently, eat different food, oh, it, yeah. it, it feeds all of it. Well, you know, anytime we work on something, we look at the weather, we look at the materials that are available and the culture. And the, all those things influence architecture tremendously. And so, you know, I was in school, like I said, at Arizona State, And I did my internship in Jerusalem, and that was wild to see a similar climate but a completely different culture and how that impacted how they resolve things. Yeah, it is. I mean, when I was in Mexico City, it is amazing how they have both incorporated. You see how uh, when the Spaniards came in and they took over the the native uh, architecture to build it into their churches. I mean, you have every step of the way. And then even they have, uh, I don't know if if you're familiar with this, uh, three sort of three cultures 
point where there was the, the public housing. It's like one of the right. It's one of the um, historic public housings. And there was a killing there. There was a protest mm-hmm. and there were it's in front of this church and just kind of a remarkable place. Have you had a chance to visit Mexico City? We are just about to go. Our, are you really? our niece is getting married in Mexico and we're in the summer and we're going to go. Oh. I have not been to Mexico City. I've been to Mexico a lot. But, but you're going to Mexico City? Yeah. Oh, OK. So I'll, I'll have to get a list. I'll send you some pictures, yeah. too. I, uh, food and the culture, everything, everything from the fancy restaurants to, the, of course, the great uh, street restaurants and yeah. hole in the wall kind of places. It's amazing. Those are the best. And so with with solar technology and the kind of uh, it's uh, what is it called? Hold on a second. I'll make sure you have the passive. OK, tell me what a passive house is. So this is very different, actually, than what I learned. So when I was in school, it was more about designing for how the sun moved around, um, you know, catching the low sun in the in the winter to heat things up. And, and in, the, in the summer, the sun is high and you design shading structures. Passive House takes that into account. But really what it's doing is you have a very strict energy budget. You're only allowed so many thousands of BTUs per square foot per year, and it's very small. And you make a very efficient shape of a building. You correctly size it. You don't do a giant house. And you make it super tight, like almost airtight. And I know everyone's going, oh, my God, how do you get air in there? <laughs> and there's, um, there's a mechanical fresh air system that's very efficient that brings it in in a very controlled way. And then you insulate it a lot. And so a typical wall might be an R25 in a regular house. These mm-hmm. are more like R60, R70. The roof, instead of R48, is more like 100. And when you say R... That's the resistance, resistance heat resistance. Okay. So the, the higher the number, the slower the heat goes through it. Okay. And then the other key thing we do is if we want to decarbonize, well, then you don't let any carbon in. So it's all electric. And here in Illinois, we have a lot of um, renewable energy coming online. Every day we get more. Every day there's less CO2 on the, in the grid. Mm. So we go all electric. And so this whole political discussion about cooktops, induction, oh. <laughs> induction is the only way to go. It's, so, it's faster, so easier funny. to clean, way more even. Right. You know, don't get me started. I know. But, I have a good friend who uh, tells me that he loves his gas stove. And, and no one's mm. taking your, first but, of all, no one's taking your gas stove. But the, the trick is, if you're doing a passive house, there is no, you cannot spew out 20,000 BTUs of, of natural gas emissions and particulates. You, you just can't do that in the house. It can't handle that. Right. Then the last thing that we do in a house like that, well, maybe not even the last thing, but solar panels. So mm-hmm. we have on-site renewable, battery backup, and then electric car charging. So when you got all that going... That's a really good thing. And then the, the kind of the new thing is to look at the materials being used and to see how uh, much you can decarbonize the materials. So some materials take a lot of uh, petroleum and mm. a lot of CO2 to make, like uh, closed cell foam and things like that. And then there's things that actually um, reduce or even embody the CO2. So things like, you know, we don't do it around here, but straw bale is certainly one where you're taking something and locking it into the building. Um, but there's a lot of wood fiber products that are being used for insulation and different materials like that. Wow. And so this is kind of the new frontier. That's a, you know, our office is just getting into that. Um, I've given lectures on it, but it's that's the new frontier. The new frontier. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, I love it. It seems like it's something that keeps exciting you. I mean, how magical to find what you, you know, we're going to pursue I, in life at six years old. I pinch myself. I mean, I, I like kind of wanted to do this and I did it. Yeah. You know, I'm doing it. 
No joke. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. We're talking to Nate Kipnis. He is the is, is it the is it your it's your Kipnis Architecture and Planning. Yes. Do you have like any family members uh, that work with you, or is it all? Um, no, just no, me. Just you. <laughs> just wondering. Uh, but no, we have a, an office. We have staff and everything, but no relatives. When did you open the uh, the? The office was opened in. Um, uh, oh boy, let's see. Uh, April. It was almost Earth Day. It was uh, April of '93. So oh, it's wow. been a long. Long time. Yeah, so you're celebrating uh, 30 years. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Right, coming up on our 31st coming... in April. Oh, there you go. Well done. We're talking to Nate. Can... See, it was April Fool's Day, so my past really? job, I, when I gave two weeks' notice, <laughs> I figured if I changed my mind, hey, I was just kidding. I was kidding. It was, was an April Fool's joke. Yeah. Did you have that kind of panic at um, all? You know, sure, starting it's a daunting. business is a freaky thing. I had no work lined up, and in that two-week period, I got a really cool project. That was like a fluke, you know. But I'll take it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to Nate Kipnis. You can go to KipnisArc.com. That's for architecture. KipnisArc. Do I say art? Yeah, arc. or arch? Arch. I know. A R C H. Yeah, yeah. It, it probably makes more sense to say arch. Kipnis arch. You look like you're regretting. <laughs> like, ah, arch. I guess. Yeah. All right. Kipnisarch dot uh, dot com to find out more about the work that he does. We'll continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal and our friends listening on KTNF nine fifty AM Minneapolis St Paul. More after this. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And we are hanging out in the studio with Nate Kipnis. You can go to Kipnis Arch to find out more about Kipnis Architecture and Planning. Uh, we're talking about the benefits of passive houses and green design. I'm looking at a picture of a beautiful bungalow, which, of course, are so popular here in Chicago. So you, we were talking about older buildings and doing the work of making them solar friendly. Or just energy efficient. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a challenge, but, you know... Here in Chicago or certainly in Evanston, it's 99.9% built. You know, it's about rehabbing. Right. It's about doing additions. And it's challenging. You know, I I always say in Evanston, we have 18 decades of different homes. They're all built differently. And um, it's a trick to figure that out. It's not not always so easy, but it's really something we have to move towards. And the all-electric part is um, a challenge. Uh, most people will need to upgrade their electric service to pull that off. Right. And that's something that it doesn't always come up. I'm hoping at some point that the government will uh, help with that because it is a very pressing need to upgrade electric services. So, like, you might have 100 amps, you're going to need 200 amps. Or if you have 200, you might right. need 400. I, I can't tell you how much I hate Latin plaster. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, is that one of the... <laughs> yeah. When you open that up, it just unzips. God. Good luck putting it back together. Oh, I know. I have a son with uh, with autism who has uh, a lot of uh, sensory issues, and he has uh, destroyed a couple of walls here. And there. Not hard to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's not. It was surprising because you think it's like cement, only it's pretty brittle. Yeah. Once it goes, it, it's it's, it's tricky. Yeah. So I, I love that you ha- you work with houses. And so tell us a little bit about some of the, the missions that you have, because I know that I was looking at this, uh, the AIA 2030 commitment. Oh. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, the AIA, the American Institute of Architects, uh, there's about 95,000 architects that are part of that. That's not all the architects, but those are the ones that Mm -hmm. are members. And they, um, in 2006, got the word out that they wanted to get um, all architects to design to net zero by 2030, and they codified that in 2008. I was on the original committee in 2009. And then I was uh, the national co-chair from 2018 to 19. And so what it's doing is there's a baseline energy use for every type of building, and it's based on 2003, whatever. But um, we want to be 50% better many years ago, and then every five years we get 10% better. So right now we're supposed to be 80% better than baseline, which is difficult. Our office, we just did the um, analysis for this year. So we hit that, which we've only hit a couple times. Um, and we're very proud of that. So we our average is 80% better than baseline. Um, there were about 20 firms last year in the country that did that. So this year we're one of them. I don't know how many are going to be on it. I think more than 20. Nice. Um, but then in 2025, it jumps to 90% better. And then at 2030, it's 100%. So basically, it's pushing us to go to something like passive house, if not exactly passive house. It's really the only way you're going to accomplish that. Um, you can do that with existing homes. It's not easy. Uh, it's a real challenge, but that's why, you know, it came from the 2030 challenge, and there's a reason it's called that. It's very difficult. I, I want The reason I jumped was I was like, oh, I should probably check and see if any of our listeners have questions for you. Uh, so I don't, because I have a text screen right in front of me. And sometimes, because I'm curious about, like, if someone wanted to go in and make their house, uh, you know, so, uh, energy efficient and, and reach out to you, what's the process like? You come out and kind of give them an idea of what it's going to take? Um, yeah. So um, the key thing would be, um, you know, we we do some discussion about what you want to do, what's the scope of work, what are your expectations on cost. Um, we're not for every right. per- person. I mean, it's, you know, there's certain firms that work at different points. So uh, check out our website. And I always have to preface this. Our website is our best of from 30 years. Nice. So, you know, sure. we do a range of work, but... Um, just keep that in mind. And so there's... Be flexible on what your expectations are. Yeah, and you know, and if you also want, you can call the American Institute of Architects in Chicago or you look on their website, they have Find an Architect. Okay. So you can track down, you can click on residential, you can click on some other things, and it'll give you a, a good right. list and you can go through that as well. I know. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I have a house lost. <laughs> we get some of these buildings. I just, I mean, there's some of my dream uh, more when I was younger than now. I've always wanted to get a, a building, an industrial building that's like been sitting vacant for years. Oh, and cool. Those are just like that big open space. That's like my office. Is it? We're in a, an old stamp factory where they See, metal yes. stamps. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> right yeah. in Evanston. Yeah. There's a theater in Three Oaks in, in Michigan. Sure. That used to be like a corset factory that's been turned. I mean, I love stuff like that. Well, they, they typically have really high ceilings yes. and uh the the proportion the windows are big and you know it's a lot of light sometimes yeah. so yeah I, and i used to want to have a church but that always seemed like it would be very hard to we to worked, heat we worked on a church once uh at my pre- where i worked before and it was like i'm like who could live here like madonna i don't know it was a little <laughs> freaky to me but i mean like a little t- like like a town like a small town church sure. you know like one of those little white uh panel like whatever the this was in like wicker whitewash. park before wicker park was a thing right 
It's, it is funny when I see people who've remodeled their, like, especially if it's a bungalow, you, it, it, you know, I'm, again, going back to like when you drive around and look at houses and architecture, you're probably like, oh, I would not have, it looks like a, okay, let's, it, I think an example everyone would recognize is Soldier Field and what they did with that. <laughs> I, it's on my website. We did, we were in a competition for that. Oh, were you? Um, yeah. I've, I, oh. I don't know if it's still on there. Maybe it's not. But oh. um, we, a long time ago, they had a competition. Uh, the Chicago AIA put it on, I think. And uh, we re-envisioned it as a bunch of townhouses, like an Italian village. Oh. Um, and then the field would be common public space, and you just kind of watch everyone playing down there. Well, it sounds better than because a spaceship when, that landed on it. Because that's when the Bears were looking to move to Arlington Heights back in the 80s. And now here we are again. Yeah. What is happening? What comes around goes around. I, I'm looking for Kipnis. If it's, I, I couldn't find it fast on your website, but I'm looking to see if it, a bear design. I don't, uh, yeah, if, it I might don't know. Be, it might be available somewhere online. Maybe. Yeah, oh, no. Bears. I, I got a bunch of tattoos. That's not what I was looking for. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm tattoo-free. So. Soldier Field. Yeah. That's so, so that's one of the things where like when someone does a bungalow and then they they want to bump out the seal, the roof and you know put an addition on I'm like it's like stucco and brick and I'm like ah sometimes. there's uh, the Chicago Bungalow Association has some really nice guidelines like don't make the addition go to the front and ruin the whole thing yes. set it back so the roof you have the hip roof coming around right. and then it goes to there they call it popping the top if you don't do it right so yeah, that makes sense that yeah. makes a lot of sense what do you uh what do you want folks to know like when you sit down you know if you think about having an interview like this and you want you say you think i want to make sure i say this and that people know this about uh about passive housing well, I, I, you know, passive house is just one thing we do. Right. It's no, no, matter, design, yeah. no matter what we're doing, it's about sustainability and resilient design. So that's the key thing. Resilient design is the ability of a structure, in this case a house, to handle crazy stuff going on. So that would be high winds, heavy rains. Look mm-hmm. what just happened out west. Um, floods, power outages, and then when we do work out in Boulder in that area, you know, fires and things like that. Each area has got its own things. If you're on sure. the coast, you got high, you know, water levels. And so we want to design homes that when people go to bed at night, they can relax and not freak out. You right. know, because I'm telling you, every night, if you look at your screen before you go to bed, what house is floating down a river? Yeah, or bursting tornadoes. In a flood? And, yeah, yeah. All so, those things. Resilient design is really key. And then the other thing is aging in place Mm -hmm. so that you're able to, uh, you know, depending on your setup, a lot of homes, older homes have eight steps, nine steps to get up. You know, the ones that we design new, we're trying to get them down to just one or two steps. So if you ever need a ramp, you can integrate that into the landscape. First floor, Mm -hmm. primary bedroom, wider halls, wider doors. Just setting it up to make it comfortable as you age. Um, there's all sorts of problems if you don't do that. Um, and it's that's a tricky one for renovation. Yeah, because I, I, as I mentioned, I have a son who is uh, has significant intellectual and physical challenges, and that's the thing I'm thinking about. Is I want an open floor plan. I want just a couple steps up. I don't, you know, I want it to be as we live in a we live in a Dutch colonial in this neighborhood. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, some of the original kind of uh, the uh, subdivisions because all the houses look pretty much the same. Uh, I do have a question from a listener who says, uh, speaking of, uh, of of architecture, have you heard anything about Greentown Conference? Do you is that something you're familiar with? The Greentown I am Conference. Familiar with that. All right. So. I, I spoke at two of them, I think, one in Highland Park and one out in the western suburbs. That was last year, and I can't remember where. Um, 
Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there are so many things going on with sustainability um, conferences mm-hmm. and uh, fairs or whatever you want to call it, where they have exhibitors showing stuff. I think it's really fascinating to go to see those. Absolutely. And it inspires you to, to think of how you can do things differently. Yep. That's what it's all about. Yep. I am so thrilled to meet you. I don't know if you want to hang out and uh, meet Sam, who's going to tell us about uh, Sam's Fresh I, Salsa. I met him out there. Yeah, that sounds amazing. He does some great work. If you, you're welcome to hang out. I don't know if your wife is itching to go, but I'm not kicking you out. I'm just, uh, just, <laughs> we're, just we're coming to a pause. Nice. And again, it's it's uh, the website is, I had it a second ago, it's Kip, Kipness Arch. Kipness Arch, that's K-I-P-I-N, no, K-I-P-N-I-S-A-R-C-H. Nice. Yes. I, I added an I. Don't listen. Kipness. Kipness. Right. Kip, like Kipness, but with a P and one less S. Now I'm screwing everybody up, Nate. <laughs> yeah. It's my fault. More in a moment on WCPT820 Heartland Signal right. and KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis-St. Paul. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. So funny, I just, uh, <laughs> I ran in our good friend, uh, Sam Durr of Elite Food Safety Training is joining us in the studio, and he's trying some of the new brew from Monaco Brewing Company, which is the dark brand, and it's a stout, which I'm a big fan of. So uh, to my husband, uh, I'm, ta- I'm just taking a sip. I'm not breaking my <laughs> my dry month, but uh, I love a good stout, and I haven't tasted this yet. And it's funny because we're going to talk about food safety, and I'm like, I'm going to pour some out of a can you just drink out of. Here we go. <laughs> Huh. It's between friends. What am I saying? Yeah, it's yeah. alcohol. It's yeah. like when you go to church and you get some from the chalice. Yeah, we right? we, we have history now. We have history. Mm. Hmm. Oh my god, that's really good. Oh my god, that's really Is that good. Like a cho- like a little bit of chocolate yeah. taste to that. Yeah, oh, like kind of chocolatey. Oh yeah. yeah, that's the dark branded es- from Nagar Brewing Company. Espresso stout. Nice. It was only a sip, by the way. Anyone who's listening, it was just a sip. I'm I'm perfectly fine to fly the board. Um, so Sam. Yeah. You, uh, of course, are the mastermind behind Sam's Famous Salsa, but you are a man of many talents. When we last spoke to you last year, we talked about your work with the military yes. and making sure that they had everything, uh, uh, you know, tip-top clean for making, because they have to feed thousands of people. Yes. Right? And so you also have, you provide this for restaurants and uh, catering businesses. Tell us a little bit about Sam's Elite Food Safety. Yeah, we actually were headquartered in Naperville, and uh, we provide uh, SurSafe, other types of food safety certifications and uh, everything from Bassett to just common household food safety knowledge. And we try and go ahead and give not only the certification course and exam, but we try and go ahead and impart upon people kind of like uh, information that's kind of going on with kind of uh, food supply chain, 
you know, and the things that are being brought in to our stores, what's going on our table for our families and friends and all kinds of other things. So it's a, I believe, a very well-rounded kind of course exam. But we also have instructors all over the country, too. So it's not just me. So we happen to have probably, I want to say right now, about 35 instructors that are all over the country flying under elite food safety training, mm-hmm. providing different classes and different types of hospitality and management courses. So we actually are a pretty robust, well-rounded company. I believe coming out of Naperville, so it's it's been a it's been a really good ride. Along with it does happen to go ahead and lend a lot of leverage, especially from the sushi side of things. Oh yeah, yeah. So when you're dealing with a volatile food like that, you know it's like you talk to people and they're like, okay, when they realize that you're a food safety expert as well, that just gives a little bit of added security, some leverage, and they're like, okay, obviously. This guy knows what he's doing, or at least I think so. So <laughs> well, let me ask you this, and I just want to go off on a little bit of a tangent because yeah. I just started watching. I don't know if you watch much television. I do. So do you, have you watched The Bear? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's funny because I I don't know how what the range of kitchens you've worked in. I've worked in a lot of different restaurants. I've worked in everything from like you just see the sludge on like every surface of a kitchen. Oh, yeah. And like, uh, and then and then like the really uh, well kept kitchens where there's a lot of mindfulness about yes. food safety and how things are treated. Yes. So I've had kind of the whole range. Never I've never been trained in food safety, right. but it makes a difference. And and when people go into restaurants, I mean, like, what should they look for as far as knowing that the restaurant that they're eating in is safe. Can they ask, hey, have, uh, has Sam and his elite food safety training been to your facility? <laughs> well, I would love that if that was the case, if yeah. people actually knew the name, you know, to walk in and ask for that. Yeah. However, first thing you probably want to walk in uh, when you walk into a restaurant is normally they should happen to have somewhere on the wall or someplace where they have their certifications or somebody because state of Illinois happens to require that there's at least one person that is manager food safety certified on the premise at all given times of the operation. Now, not always is that the case. Um, however, that would be the probably the first place I'd be looking for, someplace right. on the walls or someplace behind the register where you can see some type of certification that somebody is certified. Well, and the thing is uh, that, you know, Again, having worked in restaurants with a lot of different personalities, let's put it that way, (laughs) because for folks who watch The Bear, uh, some of that's legit. I mean, like legit contention, toxicity. Uh, You know, there are people who might be resistant. Like I've been doing it my way for a long time. It is about knowing the basics and implementing them and basically having it be memory muscle, right? Yes. Muscle muscle memory. Muscle memory. Yeah, there we go. But uh, uh, you're right. Absolutely right. We've actually had... um, People that have been resistant and have actually, because either public health or others have actually said, you need to come to this class, they come to the class and afterwards, um, I want to say a good majority of them that have been in the business or the food industry for 20, 30 years or plus Mm -hmm. have said, hey, you know what, I've been kind of out of the game and I've been kind of in the kitchen for so long. This class allowed me to be able to kind of open up and, and learn a lot of new things that I wasn't aware of that was going on not only with the food supply chain, but with food safety sure. and all these other things. So they, we've had a lot of uh, good uh, feedback, and it's been very well received, even from the experts and professionals that have been in the industry for many decades. Right. So it's been great. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. I love that you're passionate about it. Like you seem like you're like you're just very happy making sure that people are safe where they eat. Right. Because what you have to understand, the same restaurants that you take your friends and family to, I take them as take them there too. Yeah. And I want to make sure that if I'm taking my friends and family there, that they're going for a, a safe, 
meal that I know the people that there are actually handling the food in a way that's going to go ahead and not make anybody sick. Right. You know, and just like, you know, during COVID, how many great restaurants never came back because of the misinformation and because of this and that restriction and everything else. And there was really nothing that anybody really knew until information really started to kind of come out where it was like, but by that time, a lot of great restaurants will never come back. Don't get me started, Sam. Yeah. I've lost some greats. Yeah. I really have in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, there's some left, but Edison Park is looking sad. <laughs> Although, I guess two new restaurants were announced, but I, I, I agree with you. I, there was a lot of confusion and stress and, I mean, and, and well, let's, we don't have to get into, like, also mismanagement of funds, because there's mm-hmm. a couple great restaurants that we've seen very yes. publicly go down that I Correct. absolutely loved. Uh, there, that's the thing about the restaurant industry it's a lot like i mentioned a lot yes. of personalities yes. and you know whether it is uh the dram shop training which is for bartenders Correct. to make sure that they are serving you know they're, they're mindful of how someone is when they enter the the, the yep. bar uh, how many drinks they give them that kind of thing yep. um i think that this is something we don't think that much about it, you know it's, it goes beyond just wash your hands before you go back to work that is correct <laughs> absolutely <laughs> there's there is actually so much more behind uh food safety i mean you know um, there was a really good actual show that just came out on Netflix, and I don't know if it's been on Netflix for very long that my wife and I are binge watching. It's called uh, You Are What You Eat. Okay. And the, the show itself kind of – one of the episodes kind of outlines – there was a food safety expert that came in and did what's called called a germ glow. So they took this kind of this uh, fluorescent kind of liquid and put it all over raw chicken. And allowed for some regular household individuals to come in and kind of cook the chicken. And then they put a big glow light on the actual kitchen and come to find out how quickly the germs kind of traveled all over the place. Even on items and things in the kitchen that they hadn't even really touched. Yeah, it was crazy. The whole place lit up like a fun house. No, I don't want that light in my kitchen. (laughs) And yet I do want that light in my kitchen. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was intense. It was, but you know, but again, it's like we try and go ahead and bring as much knowledge and information as we can to the table within a one day class to help people understand the importance and the sense of urgency behind what food safety really is. You know, most people happen to go in, they're like, oh, geez, I have to come to this class for eight hours and here we are, you know, but we try and go ahead and make it as entertaining as we possibly can with delivering as much relevant factual information. Yeah, and that's and that's key, and and also what's what can be put into practice, uh, because there is a debate, and I, I'm sure you, I don't know how much you scroll, whether it's through whatever social media app you might use. There's an argument often about whether or not you should rinse your chicken. That Which is a no. To, right. I'm going I'm to stop to, it right now. No. Yeah, because the thing you mentioned about how it goes everywhere, yep. now you're aerosol, aerosolating, aerosolating? Yeah, aerosolating. The aerosol, mm. Yeah, whatever I'm saying. <laughs> Dispensing it yes. through a mist all over your kitchen on the dishes next to your sink or uh, on your countertop where you're going to do other things. I Here's one thing that my husband, it's, and it's sweet, but he always, well, when I'm done with a cutting board, he'll be like, did you cut any meat on this? I'm like, I never use my bamboo cutting boards for, right. for meat. I, I never do. I use. I don't know if I'm supposed to. I don't know if I'm using the right one. But I have a dedicated cutting board. It's plastic. It's like a really heavy duty commercial plastic. Yeah, like a poly. It's, it's a, a very poly. Yeah, yeah whatever poly. that is. It's a white yeah. thing with, and it has a rim around it, which I just, I've always. I just pretend like it's for blood. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it is. Yeah, and typically, typically not you, mine. The meat. No, the right. <laughs> sometimes mine. <laughs> and typically, you actually can go ahead. And I don't normally happen to use my um, cutting boards, my wood cutting boards, right? Um, for proteins and stuff like that i usually use an actual plastic as well because yep. yeah because it's easier to clean however um wood 
does happen to have a natural antibacterial in there, okay. hand sanitizer. So, you know, the more that you happen to go ahead and use an actual wood cutting board, it does allow you for some um, forgiveness. Okay. Um, it's when you see, happen to see those cutting boards that have large gouges in them and you're like, okay. <laughs> what's yeah, getting in there and living there? <laughs> yeah. 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 What's, what, what is actually set up residency in that, in that cutting board? I'm trying to find the, the, the I, I found these years ago at uh, some grocery store and I love my, I have the Epicurean uh, bamboo boards. I've never oh, yeah. used. I yeah. love them. Yeah. And, and they last forever. And those, and not only is that one of the hardest woods, but those happen to have a higher density for uh, antibacterial Yay. and everything else. So you made a great choice. Yes. So you have, made a great choice. I got one for a long one across my sink. I got the little ones for just a, a lemon or a lime or whatever, yep. for my, for maybe for my cocktail. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, I love that. But I, And the reason I have the dedicated white is so that, and it's funny, he still asked just in case I changed my mind. Yeah. But, it's, oh, but it's just so I know. This one has been used for meat, and the other ones are always for vegetable and protein. So then people always ask about like how the temperature of cooking oh, yeah. your proteins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's 165 for, That's for chicken. For chicken. Chicken, uh, chicken, anything reheated, microwaved, um, or anything stuffed. That's okay. that's the rule of thumb. I don't stuff anything. I, <laughs> I, I well, because you, you get enough of a horror right. story. So wait, we said no no turducken. No, no turducken. No, no turducken. Huh? Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I just I always cook the stuffing on the side. I, I you know what I'm I'm hooked on right now is making my own bone broths. By the way, yes, all the time. Like ever since Thanksgiving, I did it this Thanksgiving. Finally, I've been wanting to do it for years. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it and it tastes completely different than store bought. Yes. 100%. I keep trying to tell my husband that. So what he does is he'll buy me a rotisserie chicken. So then I I bone I bone boil that. Yeah, yeah. But and so. that's and that's and that's the, the habit. Even with like even regular raw vegetables, if you were to go to an actual like a farmer's market and take uh, carrots and versus the actual ones that you buy in the store, completely mm-hmm. different flavors. Yeah. One tastes like candy, and the other one really doesn't have a flavor profile. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's got the crunch. Yeah, it's got the crunch. It's the crunchy rubber. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah, um, and to that, so for produce, another th- and see, this is the thing about TikTok is I think people are learning some interesting tricks and, and things to know. Is one I've seen a lot of is soaking uh, fruit like berries and vinegar and things like that. Yeah. I do. I, I I try to do a very uh, thorough wash. I make sure like I'm like rolling whatever, yeah. or I have it in a colander and kind of toss. I mean, yeah. what, what is what do you think about for produce and, and making sure something's clean and safe. I think that with the actual the vinegar, it really depends on how long you leave it in there because anything that you leave in that vinegar solution is going to change the flavor profile. Right. It's either going to wash it completely out of the produce or okay. it's going to give it kind of this aftertaste. And it really has, so I, anybody that's doing that, I would highly recommend um, making sure you know the times that are actually for each of the produce. Right. Because raspberries are very porous. They're yeah, very, right. very squishy. Yep, very squishy. Yeah. Strawberries the same way, and you see all these horror stories in these videos of all these little things growing everything, right? So, but uh, to some degree, you, you can go ahead and buy like produce washes and all these other things. You could even go ahead and use an actual wash uh, made from a very small, small, small amount of chlorine bleach to go ahead and dip it in and out. Okay. So there's ways of getting around and being able to sanitize the produce as you go, but really depends on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go with that. Sure, it's like yeah. the chlorine in your swimming pool. You're, yeah, yeah, you're swallowing some of that anyway. Yeah. Well, Sorry, here's, so, 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 so here's so here's a fun fact for you. So, have you ever washed a T-shirt and it's come out kind of like yellow or dingy? Yeah, that's because you're using expired bleach. 
expired bleach. Expired. Don't do that. Yeah, because no. the bleach is pretty yellow mm-hmm. as a liquid. Yeah, yeah. and it only have about six months shelf life on there. Interesting. If you have a question for Sam, Sam Durr is in studio with us. Elite food safety training. How do folks find out if they want to hire you if they got a restaurant and know somebody who needs this training? Go to www.elitefoodsafety.com. Outstanding. And I'll tell you, the phone lines are open if you have a question for Sam or you want to text us anything, any comments, 773-763-9278. We will continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal, and KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are hanging out with Sam Durr from Elite Food Safety Training. And uh, we have a question from a listener, Sam. Uh, this is actually something that I, I do believe uh, I might have been on a show where we talked about this legislation. So I think it is. Uh, is, uh, is allergen training mandated in the state of Illinois? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I believe you can thank people like Senator Dankatowski for that kind of training as well. Yes. yes. That is correct. Yeah. They, the, uh, whenever you happen to go ahead and get your food safety manager certification, um, it also is a requirement by Illinois state law that you happen to acquire your allergen certification along with it. Um, Obviously, it varies from state to state, but a lot more of other states outside of Illinois are starting to adopt that as well. Okay. Um, and I will tell you, on you know, you know, ServeSafe is probably the best when it comes to they are the gold standard. They are the only ones that actually happen to have um, the permission to go ahead and teach the courses on military bases at a federal level. Really? They're the only ones that are recognized. Now um, – also, just kind of when you kind of go back in, in kind of history in the way back time machine, you take a look at kind of where food safety began and where it started. Mm-hmm. It was here in Chicago. It was the National Restaurant Association and Serve Safe. And uh, there's a great book that's out called The Poison Squad. And it kind of outlines the birth of food safety. And uh, everybody, you know, you would think that, well, okay, you know. Food safety is this boring kind of thing, but before there was food safety, down when you would go down to like the the general store to the penny shops and get the little the kids the little um, bright colored candy, most of those were made with arsenic. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, or if you got a gallon of milk, it was half of it was probably water and and either plaster of Paris, no, and milk. No. Yes. Wow. So, again, food safety and regulation actually came into play. And at the time when all this kind of started, as far as kind of what the book kind of outlines is, during the first kind of first couple of decades of food safety in Chicago, uh, a lot of the food safety scientists were actually going toe-to-toe with the mobs and the mafia in Chicago because they controlled a lot of the meatpacking plants and a lot of the things. So it it – turned out not to be just an educational book, but an actual, like, a real story that was behind how food safety was born. That's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. And what's the name of the book? It's called The Poison Squad. The Poison Squad. Yeah. I have yeah. to take a yeah. check and look yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. outstanding. Yeah. We are learning a lot from Sam. I, I was asking you uh, about some of your favorite restaurants. I'm thinking about places to take my mind. Do you know any of the restaurant owners in Hyde Park? Mm. Let's see. No. No. Okay. No. We'll have to find some places yeah. that, that way. How about downtown? Oh, you said you mentioned Maple and Ash, which Maple is a great. Maple and Ash are good. It's very nice. That's always, that's always a crowd pleaser. Anytime you want a great experience, great time, great steak, great food, it's all, Maple and Ash is always good. When ordering a steak, mm-hmm. people uh, go back and forth on this. It depends on your preference, but how rare is safe? Uh, well, if it's cooked properly, uh, even rare is safe. Okay. Because when you're actually cooking an actual um, piece of meat, uh, and it's not ground, the potentially hazardous parts of a steak 
are on the outside of it. Oh. So if you're cooking your steak to a minimum of 145 degrees Fahrenheit, um, which is pretty much just grill marks, the inside of the steak is still safe for you to eat in consumer consumption. It's when you grind the meat, that's when you have to kick it up to 155 degrees Fahrenheit oh. because – yeah, because – you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Well, guess what? You, that, that's why you have to kick up the heat. You got to sure. turn up the burner and, and get it. Make sure that it's it's cooked well. And uh, poke a hole or two in that casing. That is true. That's right. And <laughs> boil them before even. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. Yes. I like that. So, when, in, in, in restaurants, obviously, you know they have access to a lot. In a good in a good restaurant that is being safe, they're also using. We were talking about different cutting boards, but yes. also with the different pans, uh, cooking things separately and then doing whatever. Right yes. to yes. to blend those things. Yes. Well, and and you know, in a lot of and a lot of restaurants, um, happen to go ahead and have separate cutting boards, separate cooking utensils. If anybody that comes in and says, "Hey, I have an allergen," right. and right. they they come in and and typically the the food takes a little bit longer to get out to the table. However, it's because they're actually cleaning, washing, sanitizing everything in that back area where that food's going to be prepared to make sure that there's no contamination that actually gets out to the table for that person. So, yeah, so be, you know, anybody that's going to a restaurant that has an allergen, be a little bit forgiving and, and just give them an extra five minutes or so to get the food to the table. My, yeah. uh, are you familiar with the comedian Lewis Black? Yeah, uh, yeah. Lewis yeah. is talking about how people people who won't tip. He, he basically, <laughs> is, I won't be as crass, but it'll be crass. He's like, there's never a reason not to tip unless your server comes over to your table and takes a crap on your table, <laughs> and even then they put on a pretty good show. Yeah. Uh, but but the thing is, in a restaurant, I mean, servers are a big part of the production. And, and look, I get that sometimes you're going to get bad service, but for the most part, you know, they're part of a team, and often yes. it's it's something that is going on back of house. Yep. You know, with, with the whatever's going on there. So be patient with the whole team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going out to eat. You didn't cook yourself. Exactly. And you're leaving the mess there. Exactly. So it's a win. Yes. So, you know, and, and the other thing that we're kind of this in this challenge um, right now in the food safety industry is with uh, food delivery drivers. Now that, yeah. now, that right there in itself is a challenge within itself. And then, you know, where you happen to have individuals that happen to be driving food and delivering food, but they've never been trained in food safety. At all. Right. So you happen to have Johnny that decides to go pick up your order at the restaurant. He decides, you know, since he's driving around, he has the windows up and he's smoking. And then he decides to go see his girlfriend. And then by an hour and a half later, your pizza shows up and you're like, why does it kind of taste funny? Right. Johnny has never had any type of food safety training. So it's kind of one of those things. So that's been a challenge for us to basically kind of come to uh, the realization that we want to partner with a lot of these food delivery services sure. to say, like, look, you know, just give us the opportunity. But there's this, been this debate, this battle between the actual company that hires them and, and, and the driver. Who's going to pay for the training? Who's right. going to pay for the? Trip? Well, they're making a lot of money on those fees. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, because I, agree. I, I, I was just thinking about this yesterday because my dad was a cab driver, and uh, and now all these Uber drivers. There's no regulation no. on training for them. You know, you're at the whims of some guy who just happens to have a Toyota that's picking me up <laughs> in front of the bar. I yeah. mean, like what? Yeah. Same thing for food delivery. I hadn't really thought of it as much, uh, yeah. but as far as temperature and all of it, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and the other thing you know, uh, which is really big here in Chicago, and, and also in Naperville and other towns is if you've never heard of the term ghost kitchen, ghost kitchen is, uh, is something that is most people are not familiar with. So what happens with a ghost kitchen is you happen to use your, your app to order your food. Well, it goes into an actual kitchen, but this kitchen has about anywhere from 5, 10, 20, 50 different kitchens operating out of that. So when you say you order, for instance, your broccoli 
chicken or I mean your broccoli, sure. whatever it might be. Really go- broccoli, but yes, I'm yeah, with broccoli you. beef. Right, you're with me. So <laughs> yes. uh, it goes in and then it it comes to you and it shows up on your door, but it's not from the restaurant you ordered. That you ordered again. from. Wow. Even That's though on the crazy. even though even though on the app. It shows the restaurant logo and everything yeah, else. Yeah, or even the driver coming from yes. there. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's the website again for as we wrap up uh, where folks can learn more? Uh, www.elitefoodsafety.com. Sam, it's been too long. I'm so glad you came in. And he didn't have to bring treats, but I appreciate it. No worries. Um, and we're happy to share some treats right yes. back with you. Thank yes. you, Sam. Uh, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Tomorrow, I'm taking sure. the night off. I'm hanging out with my mom for her birthday. Uh, Sam, it will be the Palatinis will be here. The po- well, the Palatini will be here. A Palatini. It's the name of the show. Megan Kelly, not that Megan Kelly, our friend Megan <laughs> Kelly. And Dan Schaefer will be here hosting. And then on Monday, I'm also taking the night off. It'll be uh, Paul Farvar will be here on Monday. So taking a little bit of a long weekend, everybody. So I will talk to you soon. Have a lovely evening. Be safe, Sam and Nate. Uh, we are so thrilled that you guys came in studio and look forward to talking to you again. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Mike Kurtz up next with Devil's Advocates and followed by Matt McNeil. Bye, everyone. Bye.